Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Dread Time Stories. I'm your host, Dr. Phobia. And tonight, dear patients, it's time for me to administer you another round of real horror stories. Tonight's tales all have a reoccurring theme. They're about people that have reached the end of their rope and snapped. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's tale, Truly Terrifying, Volume 7. So, my grandfather passed away about two weeks ago. And it's been really hard on me, as him and I were really close. But it's what he told me on his deathbed that is the reason why I'm writing this particular story. You see, I never knew that he had a long-term relationship with anyone other than my grandmother. But on that day he called me to the hospital, I found out that that wasn't the case. See, my grandfather was a decorated Marine in the Korean War. When he came home back to a small town in Iowa, he met back up with his high school sweetheart, a woman that he refused to name, but referred to her only as the Red-Headed Devil. She apparently was one of the most beautiful women in town. Long, gorgeous red hair, he said, was the equivalent of like a Jessica Rabbit style figure, I suppose. Her father was also pretty well-to-do within the town, being the town's lawyer. How my grandpa, a simple farm boy, was able to get a woman like that, he and I both didn't know. But, apparently things weren't what they appeared to be. So, as soon as he got home, they celebrated by going out to different diners and things like that, and resuming the life that they had before the war. So one weekend, my grandfather tells her that he's going to take her on a romantic weekend up to a cabin that his father owns up on one of the lakes in Iowa. On the way up, she starts acting strange. She's smiling, she's acting giddy, and just all kinds of things. He finally inquires, what? And she just starts laughing out loud. He looks at her really stern and confused, and she goes, I want to admit something to you, and there's really nothing you can do about it. See, while you were away during the war, I never stopped being physical with men. In fact, I slept with three or four different guys in town, and apparently I'm pregnant by one of them. And since you and I had sex when you came back, there's no way to prove that the baby's not yours. Those others were just deadbeats. But you would actually make a great father. And you are going to be the father of my child. Because if you say anything otherwise, I will just tell my father that you beat me, pay somebody 20 bucks to do it, and that's it. You're in jail for the rest of your life. Now, you're going to use that GI bill of yours after we get married to buy us a nice little house with a picket fence and you're gonna go work as many hours as it takes to provide a roof over our head. And when you get home, don't expect supper. You make it yourself. 
and don't expect a clean house, you clean it yourself. Why I am just going to sit back and do whatever it is I want to do. And that baby, it'll be solely your responsibility. And don't you dare think of running off. My father's resources will find you. So, why don't you be a good little marine and do what you're told? I could visibly see the look on my grandfather's face when he repeated that line to me. How broken up he was. How mad he was. And as the car sped along the road, a large oak tree right on the side of the road came into view. He said he grabbed a hold of the shifter of, the, of his Chevrolet and downshifted, punching the gas. She looked at him confused as he started gaining speed, going up from 40 to 50 to 60 as the tree got closer and closer. She was looking at him even more now, yelling at him, telling him to slow down. He looked her dead in the face and said, there's only one path for women like you, harlots, and that is the path of destruction. He cut the wheel hard right and slammed into the tree at 65 miles an hour. He held on to the steering wheel so tight that he fractured both of his wrists. His chest actually hit the steering wheel, which has caused my grandpa's health issues and enlarged heart. She, however, had nothing to hold on to and flew directly out of the window into the tree. The last thing he heard her say was, fuck you, as she flew through the windshield. A vindictive bitch all the way to the end, my grandfather said. A few hours later, he woke up in a hospital. They had told him that a few hours later, he woke up in a hospital with bandages around both his wrist and by himself. Police officers came in later and asked him what happened. And the first, my grandfather was gonna tell the truth. But then, everything started to flood back. All the things he went through during the war. All the times he had thought of nothing but her. And that's what got him through. And for her to do that to him? He lied and said a deer ran out in front of the car. He also admitted he was going faster than he should have, but he said the deer was the culprit of the accident. To show you what kind of a person this girl's father was, after the police determined they couldn't do anything to my grandfather, he tried to sue GM, saying that they should have made their cars safer so things like this wouldn't happen, and apparently got some sort of settlement out of it. As my grandpa put it, the rich get richer. He would be single for about another five years. And then one night he had to go into the hospital because of his appendix. And the woman that checked him in and took care of him, the nurse that would later become my grandmother, was the thing that set his life on the right path. He was able to come to terms with all the things that had happened during the war. And he was able to put the dark past of the red-headed devil behind him. He is not a violent person. He was backed into a corner. 
He had been nothing but a great father to my mother and my aunt, and a great husband to my grandma, who died five years before he did. After telling me this story, my grandpa said he was tired and wanted to take a nap. He died a couple hours later. It was like he wanted to get that story off his chest before he went, and he didn't know who to tell it to. But I was the lucky one. I won't tell any of my family, and going into the Marines myself, I'll be very careful with the women I choose to get involved with, because you never know which one of them could be the next red-headed devil. I was driving home from a friend's house about one o'clock in the morning. We were just up playing video games. No drinking was involved with this. Just an asshole driver and me finally losing what little sanity I had left. I turned off of the state route onto the main highway and was in the right-hand lane doing 70 miles an hour in a 65. When I heard a car speeding up from behind me, I saw in the street light a Mini Cooper appear on my rear bumper. The guy suddenly started honking his horn and flashing his lights at me. I looked around with my truck and didn't see any reason as to why the tailgate wasn't open, no sensors on the dash going off, low tires, whatever. So I just assumed it was a guy being an asshole. He had two other lanes open, so I don't know why he was doing what he was doing. So I tried to get into the middle lane thinking he just didn't want to get over and, be, and was being lazy. But as soon as I did that, he jumped into the middle lane as well. Same thing, honking the horn, flashing the lights. We came up to a more well-lit stretch of freeway, and I began to notice that there were multiple people in the car, four to be in fact. The guy driving literally looked like he could have been a stunt double for Steve Urkel. Black man, short haircut, huge thick glasses. The other folks in the car were a couple other black men, all just laughing and pointing as I kept trying to have them pass me. Finally, I had enough after 10 minutes of this. They're still back there cackling like idiots. So I got the slip on them. I brake checked the car hard. He busted over into the far left lane and that's when I kept pace. We were literally neck and neck doing 85 miles an hour. I looked over at the three hooligans and started cutting the wheel to the left. My Chevrolet pickup getting closer and closer to their little Mini Cooper. They stared in horror as they realized that I was going to smash them into the wall. And at one point, their car popped up on two wheels onto the concrete barrier. And that is when I backed off as their car spun out and went down an embankment, and I continued to drive. When I got home, I started to feel bad about the situation and realized that I had completely lost control, and I could have possibly killed all three of the men in the car. Over the next couple of days, I watched the news reports, and nothing ever came up 
about a fatality on that stretch of freeway. So I'm just going to assume their car skidded off the road, they collectively shit their pants, and had to have it towed. So even though I've never gotten that mad since, and I've done things to control my anger, sometimes in life, assholes like that just deserve what they get. Back in 2017, I had the literal worst year of my life. I was diagnosed with cancer, my fiance ended our engagement, and I lost a job that paid over $100,000 a year because of corporate bullshit. I was in a bad way. I really didn't know what to do at that point. So I'll be honest, I turned to drinking. I went down to the local gas station, spent a little bit of the unemployment bucks and getting some beer and some cigarettes. When I walked into the gas station, I, there was a guy in front of me after I grabbed my beer. He was standing there, just kind of looking at the cashier. The cashier telling him multiple times to take his hood down, even though the guy refused. I could tell by his accent and seeing him in the mirror above me that he was Hispanic. After all, we were in South Texas. And finally, after asking a third time, the store clerk told him to either take the hood down or leave the store. The guy seemed kind of nervous and twitchy, so I thought something might be up. My suspicions were 100% proven when the guy pulled a pistol out of the hoodie pocket, pointed it right at the cashier, and said, Give me all the money in the register, fool! It's not worth your life, I promise. The Indian man behind the counter at first looked shocked, but then just calmly started to reach into the register. I, at that point, with everything going on, decided that I had nothing to lose. So, before he could do anything, I walked up behind the guy. He was probably about 160 pounds, somewhere in the ballpark of 5'7", five, 5'8". I weighed 300 pounds and was six foot four. I grabbed his elbow and started slamming his hand down on the counter as hard as I could. Eventually, he let go with a gun. I then grabbed him and threw him to the floor. As I threw him to the ground on his back, he looked up at me, and the look of confusion and terror was palpable on his face. The next thing I remember, my vision actually was turning a blood red as I took my boot and I stomped down on the man's stomach as hard as I could. He let out this choking, wheezing sound and I did it again. On the third drop of my boot, blood began to come out of the man's mouth and I stopped what I was doing. The guy behind the counter had disappeared and about two minutes later, police and EMS showed up. The guy died at the hospital. Apparently, on my third drop, I had actually ruptured his stomach. And the bleeding and the stomach acid was so intense throughout his body that they couldn't save him. He was 23 years old. Even though, in my small town, I'm considered a hero for stopping a robbery, 
I sure as hell don't feel like one. And though it's been four, almost five years now, and I can move on from the incident, sort of, it's always in the back of my mind, and I can always see that man's face. I am now going to a therapist once a week. I beat cancer. I got a new job. Got married. But I'm still trying to keep my anger in check. Because anymore I see these assholes out in the world. And I'm just afraid that one day I'm going to have a repeat of what I did to that 23-year-old in that gas station in 2017. Well, there you have it, dear patients. Three stories of people coming to the end of their rope and snapping. I hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. Like I always say in closing, check under your bed, look in your closet, and sleep with the light on. The life you save may very well be your own. Good night, everyone.